Welcome to Vote 2016, KCTS9Crosscut.com election coverage. I'm Enrique Cerna. It's been quite a time as news broke of an audio recording where Republican presidential nominee Donald Trump made lewd comments about women. And then in the second debate with Hillary Clinton, Donald Trump called her the devil and said that as president, he would instruct his attorney general to appoint a special prosecutor to investigate Clinton and throw her in prison. Now, for many Americans, Trump's remarks were shocking, but maybe not surprising because Donald Trump seems to know no boundaries. But we got to wondering what our neighbors to the north in Canada are thinking about our presidential race. Joining us from Victoria, British Columbia, is Vaughn Palmer, longtime columnist for the Vancouver Sun. And Vaughn, um, you know, when you first heard about these remarks, uh, I, I take it you watched the debates as well. What do you think? Well, I have watched the debates, partly because I've been following American politics for a long time, Enrique, and there's never been anything like this, and there may never be anything like it again. So, yeah. you know, sometimes we read history books to see history, and every now and then you feel like you're in the middle of it, and you don't want to miss it. So I watched both debates, and they are fascinating. I'd say Canadians have been following the American election Closely, we always do, but this year with an incredible mixture of horror and fascination, I would say. Well, well let's talk about uh, what you have heard from other Canadians about uh, our race, about Donald Trump. Well, I think we've picked up here on the fact that both of these candidates for president have very high negatives. So that's something that, you know, is, is a little unusual. I think the second thing you pick up on is that, you know, you've referred to it, that, that Trump seems to know no boundaries. I was at a conference with a bunch of American journalists at Stanford University and um, in, back in July, and several of the people that were covering the presidential campaign at that time, including a couple of reporters for National Public Radio, said, you know, he's, he's breaking the rules. Well... You know, the thing about politics, and I've been writing about politics for a long time, is there really are no rules. <laughs> there are conventions for Enrique. There are traditions. There are the ways that decent people and good candidates conduct themselves. But um, it's not like the way to conduct a presidential campaign is really written into the Constitution or the law. It's up to the conduct of the candidates themselves. And I think we've discovered this year that... There aren't even very many guidelines. And I think that's what it comes down to as well as well, how people have conducted themselves in the past. And then you have um, Donald Trump that has come in and does his thing uh, no matter what, denies when he's made a mistake, uh, uh, won't even own up to any of these things. And then he has uh, people that just strongly believe uh, in what he's doing and saying, and whether he makes uh, these types of comments or not, he still has that base. That's it's almost like a cult. They're going to follow him no matter what. Yeah. The other thing, of course, and I think this campaign, you, you, you sort of find yourself noting how campaigning and politics and the world of media has changed. You know, when I started off uh, paying attention to and following American politics, I used to watch Uncle Walter on CBS. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, you had three networks. You had uh, you had a few newspapers that were incredibly influential. 
And the whole thing seen as atomized now. Uh, I mean, clearly Trump is a master at communicating with his followers directly through social media. A lot of the, what would you call them, arbitrators, mediums, I guess, to use the Marshall McLuhan language, have, have fallen away and allowing candidates to communicate directly to their supporters. And I think that's one reason why nobody really feels like they control the narrative anymore. That can be a good thing. It can lead to a more diversity of viewpoints out there. But I think it also means that everybody who follows the thing closely feels like the thing is kind of a bit out of control. Yeah, and I think, too, uh, you bring up a good point about the the communication factor Um, through social media. uh, How many... 3 a.m. or 4 a.m. Uh, tweets as uh, Donald Trump uh, sent out uh, about you know his points of view on various things, uh, which uh, you know it's it's changed the dynamic of this whole election. Now that's quite true, and I I think we all feel like we don't know where it all comes to an end. Um, I, again, I referred to that conference at Stanford in in. July, because one of the journalists sitting at the table was a BBC reporter, Enrique, who had just covered the Brexit thing in the UK. And he said he thought the most useful thing that we could communicate to our viewers and our readers and our listeners is that um, the side they don't like could win, that it really matters that they vote and that they participate. This BBC journalist said to me that he, the thing he'd heard most from Britons since the vote on Brexit was, why didn't you tell us that we might vote to leave? <laughs> and, you know, it's an incredible thing, really, but I know that if you look at voter turnout here in Canada, in a really good election, you know, we'll get 55%, maybe a little higher than that, of the Canadians eligible to vote will actually exercise their democratic franchise. And I know that's true in the United States as well. Well, you know, you don't want to be sitting there the morning after the election going, gee, I didn't know the other side could win. Everybody I know agrees with me. That's true. We all use social media. We all follow Facebook. We all do these things. And and they feed us only what we want to hear, right, our friends and, and all that. I don't know anybody, someone will tell you. I don't know anybody who's voting for Trump. Well, clearly some people are. So I think probably if you think of the one thing that all of us in the news media can still do is we can still communicate to people that I don't care how close the polls are, I don't care who forecasts what, keep in mind that it actually elections are decided by the people who show up and vote. Your opinion is worth nothing unless you vote. That's very true, very true. Um, And I think that's uh, one of the things that still, despite all these things that Donald Trump has uh, said and and done and continues to say, uh, I think there's still a feeling that, hey, there's still a possibility there that the guy could win no matter what. Uh, Sure, I mean, he's he's clearly tapping. He, He wouldn't have gotten as far as he has if he hadn't tapped into a fairly significant depth of discontent with the way things are. I think, you know, clearly the British system and the American system are very different, but I think there's been a recognition since the vote in the UK on on the Brexit that the the people who wanted to leave, the leavers, um, tapped into a a well of discontent. And you can dismiss it or discount it or say whatever, they were misled, 
Nevertheless, elections are decided by the people who show up, and the one thing that appears to be the case, and appears to have been the case for for a year now, is that Trump supporters are motivated to vote. Right. They are. They are. And I think they, you know, and they're motivated to stick with him, and uh, no matter what. Um, and we, and we, the other thing I find fascinating, and you know, is again watching it from afar is Bernie Sanders, who, yeah. <laughs> who tapped into discontent as well. And I know that, you know, Sanders supporters will flame you if, if you suggest they have something in common with Trump supporters. But there is, you know, I stand here on the sidelines up in Canada. I'm not voting, but I look at it and I go, well, you know, those two candidates did tap into some of the same wells of populist discontent with the status quo. And again, um, there's something going on out there that um, the elites and the establishment aren't fully in control of. Uh, Canadians in viewing all of this, I've always been fascinated with the fact that Canadians seem to be so interested in our politics. Obviously, we're, you know, the distance, we're right, we're we're close. Um, What's what are you hearing in, among your friends or uh, or maybe your readers or about about this whole campaign and and and, and Donald Trump and Hillary for that matter? Well, you're right that we do follow American politics very closely, and the two countries are bound together. And the United States has ten times our size, so we don't have a lot of leverage on issues and all, and all that. And and it's a form of entertainment for Canadians. There's a whole bunch of things going on, but. The one thing that is different about this election, I would say, is the trade issue. So for a long time, for Canada, trading with the United States is critical. It's our biggest trading partner. It's the most, the busiest trading relationship in the world. Uh, we're, each, we're each other's major trading partners, although China is encroaching on that with the United States. But when you, when you look at all that, for a long time, Canada has generally seen Republicans as the easier party to deal with on trade issues. They are less protectionist. And Democrats is more difficult to deal with on the trade issue. They, Democrats tend to be more protectionist. They're tied to trade unions. Well, this election, you've got – it's a big question as to which party is the most hostile on trade. <laughs> Trump is incredibly hostile on trade. He gave a speech in Lyndon, Washington in the spring where he denounced the North American Free Trade Agreement as the worst trade agreement in the history of the known universe or some Trumpian thing like that. But Clinton's pretty much promised the first thing she's going to do if she if she wins the election is to, is to cancel – you know, take Trans-Pacific Partnership right off the table. So this really matters to Canada, and it gained Enrique extra momentum as an issue in Canada Wednesday of this week because our 10-year agreement with the United States to manage the softwood lumber trade between the two countries um, expired on Wednesday of this past week. Um Americans may wish to compliment their trade negotiators for arranging for the, the, the deal to expire in the middle of an American election <laughs> campaign when it's not likely to be renewed. But in this case, you know, uh, this arrangement, this trading arrangement around softwood lumber has been essentially a managed form of trade. It's exempted from NAFTA. It's managed separately, and the two countries, you know, go back and forth, and the United States threatens various things and puts taxes and duties on, but usually we work out some kind of arrangement. Well, I would say the president uh, and the prime minister last spring 
uh, met in Washington, D.C., and concluded an agreement to try to rescue the softwood lumber trade over the summer, but they got nowhere. And I think in this case, it's a big question whether or not either one of these candidates for president would be all that sympathetic to Canada on this issue as well. And of course, Americans will be electing a new House of Representatives and a bunch of senators as well. So we could be in for a pretty rough ride next year, whomever is president of the United States. And is that the big issue for Canada, trade? No, I think a big issue for Canada is probably the big issue for the rest of the world, which is, is anybody all that comfortable with the idea of Donald Trump having his finger on the button? Mm. I mean, let's get real. Uh, the Clintons are, to some degree, a known quantity. Uh, Canada had a good relationship with Bill Clinton. Uh, you know, I, I, Hillary Clinton comes up through the system. She... You know, you can say whatever you like about her, and we know there's a lot of controversies with her, and some of them are well-grounded. But at the end of the day, she's a product of the American political system. She understands how it works. Uh, there are barriers and boundaries. The the thing about Trump that I think bothers Canadians, and you see it, I think, it reflected right around the world, is what will he do? I don't think anybody knows, judging from the impulsive way that Trump behaves sometimes, I'm not sure he knows what he would actually do. So is it fair to say that uh, Canadians are, are fearful that he just, that the possibility that he become, could become the next uh, U.S. president? Oh, I think anxious, yeah. No, I don't think there's any question about that. Whereas, you know, Canadians Canadians tend to lean pretty strongly Democratic anyway. I mean, our our the center of our political system is probably somewhere around where Clinton has landed anyway, and even on some issues, maybe even a little closer to Bernie Sanders. So we've tended to, you know, even even guys like Michael Dukakis and Walter Mondale would have gotten elected Prime Minister of Canada over their Republican opponents. But having said all that, I think it's the recognition that with Trump, you have a total outsider to the political system and an unknown quantity who, again, as I said, appears to recognize no rules and uh, can't even govern his own impulses. So you wonder what he would do if he was president of the United States. Yeah. Are Canadians uh, watching our debates here closely? Yeah, I think it's a, they've had a lot of coverage. I, I think Canadians have watched. Uh, I mean, the audience certainly fell off for the second debate, um, as it did in the United States. Uh, some of us, like me, being total political geeks, even watched the vice presidential debate, which is not, <laughs> not something I've done in the past. But I, I kind of thought, you know what? I mean, these two, these two vice presidential candidates, given what what happens in the world in the United States, either one of them could end up as uh, president. Uh, Clinton's health issues may uh, turn out to be more seriously than than she's let on, and of course Trump could be impeached. So uh, you kind of look at the vice presidents and go, you know what? Um, either one of these guys could be president as well. So I, I talked to uh, editorial cartoonist David Horsey, who used to work at the Seattle PI here in Seattle, and now is with the LA Times uh, as their top of the ticket uh, editorial cartoonist and also a political commentary uh, writer. Uh, and for him, he says, this is a gold mine. 
because, you know, there's so much that is happening all the time. He says it's almost too much, but it gives him great material. Same thing with late-night comedians. I'm sure they're quite happy for it. Uh, for you, as a, I know that you're still covering uh, Canadian politics more than anything else, but uh, does that provide a lot of great material for you as well and others? Um, it, it certainly uh, entertained our political cartoonists as well, and, uh, you know, I, I don't know as though, uh, I guess uh, we maybe see another golden era of opening monologues on Saturday Night Live with their the two matchups they've done so far of Trump and Clinton. Um, I guess Sarah Palin uh, certainly is uh, one that lives in memory, but uh, they have really lived up to their old standard on this uh, on the the two that I've seen so far right. of, of Trump and Clinton, yeah, quite quite good. Uh, Alex Alex Baldwin really has him down well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the, and the woman isn't. And I, I'm sorry, I've forgotten her name. Uh, who's doing Clinton? She doesn't really have the age right, but she certainly got the attitude right. And uh, right. the uh, the debate prep uh, on the weekend, where she was basically chugging champagne and pinching herself over how lucky she's been, uh, was pretty funny as well. All right. Well, Vaughn Palmer, um, we shall see how this all turns out. And as it uh, transpires here, uh, maybe we'll get back to you and find out um, how Canadians uh, are reacting and seeing uh, this whole election and uh, once it finally ends, because it's been a long... This is just the craziest thing. I mean, it's, it's like exhausting almost. So, You're right, Enrique. Just anything can happen. I'll give you a joke that circulated from a friend of mine this morning, which is a guy who's been in a coma for a few years, wakes up in November, and he's told that uh, a woman is president of the United States. Bob Dylan won the Nobel Prize. And the Cubs won the World Series, and he goes, I don't believe the third one. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. That is great. That's great. Oh, I'm rooting for the Cubbies, by the way. So, Von Palmer, thank you so much. Von Palmer, the Vancouver Sun. He's a columnist there, watches not only Canadian politics, but also U.S. politics. And uh, this has been Vote 2016, KCTS9Crosscut.com election coverage. Vaughn, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Bye-bye, Enrique. All right. I'm Enrique Cerno. We'll talk more later. To hear more podcasts from KCTS9 Digital Studios, visit kcts9.org slash podcasts.